I'm Beth Bruno, and you're listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast. This is a podcast for women who wonder how strength and weakness coexist, or how to bless both bravery and tenderness. For those longing to bring the fullness of their glory to the world without a chip on their shoulder. For those who have embraced a global sisterhood and left small storied lives behind, this is for you. The fierce and lovely women seeking the both and of a big storied life. Join me as I chat with fierce and lovely women around the world. super excited about today's episode. We are talking about something that has become quite trendy in Christian circles, and that is the Enneagram, but we are talking about kind of a different approach to all of it. And I first learned about this from a good friend of mine, Lisa Russell, who is uh, the mentor that my daughter mentioned in episode 14. She is a a friend, has been a longtime teammate uh, of mine at Restoration Project and Restoration Counseling Center. She holds a certificate from the Allender Center and does our story work and spiritual counseling at Restoration Counseling. And in January, she went off to Michigan and was trained to facilitate um, I Enneagram Motions of the Soul for Spiritual Transformation. And so she is going to be doing Enneagram offerings, coaching and workshops and triad groups and whatnot here in Northern Colorado through Restoration Counseling Center. And so Lisa introduced me not only to this kind of a, approach to the Enneagram, but also to Claire Lorridge. Uh, Claire is a founding pastor of Crossroads Church and Ministries in Michigan, and she has been been leading there for more than 25 years. She's a preacher and a teacher and a spiritual director and was formally trained in spiritual direction at the Transforming Center in Wheaton, Illinois. She has authored uh, two books prior to this newest one, Motions of the Soul, The Enneagram Meets Ignatius, as well as Enneagram Personality Styles, a tool for self-knowledge and transformation. Her newest book that she co-authored with her husband and good friends is called Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram, a handbook for harmony and transformation. It just came out in March through Ivy Press, and uh, it's the context for which we have this conversation. I hope you learn a little bit more about the Enneagram, not only maybe about your number and kind of a basic understanding, but that you see how how much deeper it can be and how it can really help lead us to um, better integration of who God made us to be and a more healthy way of living and interacting with the world around us. So enjoy my conversation with Claire and Lisa. Well, hello, Claire and Lisa. Welcome to the Fierce and Lovely podcast. Thanks for having us. Thank you very much, Beth. I um, I absolutely love what you're doing in the world with your fierce and lovely self and the work you're doing uh, on behalf of those that are uh, have a story uh, that can create a wider story in the world that gives us grace. Thank you. 
Well, thank you, Claire. I, you know, when I think about fierce and lovely and figuring out how to do that well and hold that, um, sometimes that tension well, I think the Enneagram has such incredible potential to help us do that and step into uh, those spaces where we more fully reflect God um, in a more robust way. So I'm excited to just even personally learn a little bit more from both of you about the Enneagram and your unique approaches um, to utilizing it for people. So, you know, this is such a trendy topic these days in the Christian community. Um, and yet there are still many who have probably either not heard much about the Enneagram or who have heard about it and are suspicious or a little confused. So why don't we start with an overview, uh, making sure that everybody has kind of a clear background as to what the Enneagram is, and then we'll dive into more of your specific approach to it. How's that sound? Great. Great. Claire, you want to kind of give us an overview? Sure, I will. And um, and so before we dive into Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram, um, the book that we've recently written, we want to give an idea of um, God is all in all, from everlasting to everlasting. And God could be described with all of the nine styles of the Enneagram. Um, so in this nine uh, pointed circle that is called the Enneagram, there are nine different personality styles uh, that really give us a reflection of who God is. So there's uh, number one, the good person, number two, the loving person, number three, the effective person, number four, the original person, number five is the wise person. Number six is the loyal person. Number seven, the joyful person. Number eight, the powerful person. And number nine, the peaceful person. And while all those nine styles um, are very uh, specific in their description of how people show up in the world, we, what we realize is we all have a little bit of all of that in us. And yet when the Enneagram talks about human beings and the way that they show up in the world, it gives us an idea that there is one particular style that each of us have taken to an art form. And with that, uh, when we take our own style to its own too much or over amplify it or get addicted to it, we can then show up in the nine, what we would call vices or false self-descriptions of the type, which for the one is perfection and the two is pride and the three is self-deceit and the four is envy and the five is greed. The six is fear. The seven is gluttony. The eight is lust and the nine is sloth. And having said that, what we could say is we're all equal opportunity sinners, right? And every one of us could have uh, participated in one of those sins over our lifetime. And we've taken one to a particular art form. It's the thing that shows up at noon for us when we've uh, said to ourselves, I am not going to do that thing again. I am not going to behave that way again. And then it shows up. So the Enneagram system um, really is a way to acknowledge both uh, your inherent greatness, you're made in the image of God's self, the Imago Dei, 
and your false self, which is where you get tripped up, where you get stuck, where when you take your goodness to its own too much, um, how sin shows up in your life. And in that very uh, quick description, kind of a 40,000 foot view, um, I guess I, I, I can continue to say that many of you may be familiar with uh, Ian Cron's podcast, which is The Road Back to You. Um, and that's a great podcast. And it actually describes the Enneagram in a way that uses what's called the process Enneagram or what people are classically using. And so there's arrows and there's wings and there it's a very robust system. It's wonderful. But it may um, cause some people to feel like they, uh, they're being diagnosed, but they don't have a map for spiritual transformation, which we believe uh, as Christ followers in Romans chapter 12, that, you know, we are, um, we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Um, and that mind is not just the brain, but it is actually the whole human person, the uh, intellect, the heart affections, and the instincts, our will. So, um, so we love the podcasts that are using the classic Enneagram, but what you're going to be listening to, listening to here is what we call the harmony triads. And, um, and harmony really, we believe, is Jesus' idea uh, when he talks about being um, a person who loves God with all your heart, uh, your emotional intelligence, all your mind, your intellectual intelligence, and all your strengths, your instinctual or gut intelligence. Um, and so uh, we're, you know, we're looking for harmony here in the world. And, and what we know is that only people who are in harmony can bring harmony. So that is the model that we utilize and that my good friend Lisa Russell here has been trained in as a coach. Um, so how's that? How did that work, Beth? Was that enough? <laughs> <laughs> I think that's really helpful because I, I have sensed um, a distilling down of the Enneagram for many of us who are approaching it in that process diagnostic way. And then so we we kind of come to our number and we, we have a maybe a le certain level of understanding of what that might look like, but it ends up stopping there because we don't really know well, what then? What do we do with that knowledge? And how do we experience harmony? How do we come to grow as a person or in our faith as a result of knowing our number? And so I, I love that I what I'm hearing and what I've read in your book is that that's where you're taking us. You're taking us to those deeper levels. Um, and so, yeah, I guess I'm curious, Lisa, for you, when you went to the training and began to learn more about this particular model for the Enneagram, what did that do for you and your your soul, your spirit, and your understanding of, of yourself? Great question. So I have been geeking out on the Enneagram for probably four years, but this training just opened up my whole soul to a different perspective of it because it wasn't the traditional diagnostic where... Um, which is very helpful. And it was very sacred for me to um, know my type and get to know my type and the, with the traditional arrow theory. But um, with this one, I felt like I was getting stuck 
And um, I had this almost this feeling of constriction. Like I, oh, because I'm a two and I get stuck in my two. And what do I do about that? I want to change. I want to grow. I want to become more integrated. And so going to this training and learning about the harmony triads where I'm actually engaging not just with my heart center as a two, but I'm engaging with my five, which is in the head center, and my eight, which is in my gut center. And so it almost provides this relief from my two when I'm engaging with my two, five, and eight, my head, heart, and gut, and then there's this motion of the soul. So there's this freedom, this integration, um, and really I just come back to that word relief, that I don't have to be stuck in this two where I'm actually playing God um, and living into my flesh or my pride. But when I'm engaging with my five and my eight, I'm actually reflecting the face of God. And that was so powerful for my own story. I think I'm I'm curious about how we end up doing that. And so let's maybe, Claire, describe for us a little bit more about the gut and heart and head centers or the three numbers that fall into each of those and how the triad works. And then Lisa, I'd love to hear more about what is that actually, how does that happen? How do we live more into the other centers of our soul and find more harmony in that triad? Well, this is beautiful. I, um, I first want to say, Lisa, I, I love that it's giving you relief. That, that is one of the heart cries of the work that we've done um, with the Enneagram. Well, you know, it's, it's wonderful to be able to name your pain and then to discover how you can open up to more than your pain you know, to make space to say that pain is a part of my story. It is a part of what has helped me um, to know that I needed God, but it's not all of my story. And, uh, and so, you know, Nelson Mandela said, human beings can't bear the burden of their own inherent greatness. And, you know, so many times we think our pain is what defines us. We think our vice is what defines us. But when we discover that we've been made in God's image, whether we are a person who enters the world primarily through our intellect or through our heart affections or through our gut instincts, we are more than just that. We can integrate all three. So answering your question, Beth, great question. You know, when you're thinking about the gut triad, this is the eights, the nines and the ones. And these are the people that filter the world through their bones, really, their instinctual intelligence. They just, they know something is either just or unjust, right or wrong, uh, peaceful or, you know, conflict is coming. They have this knowing in their body or in their gut. And we call that in our work GQ, gut intelligence. So a lot of people don't know they have GQ, but everybody's <laughs> got it, right? Not just the eights, nines, and ones. So then we look at the, the twos, threes, and fours, which they are dominant in their heart intelligence. And they really do filter the world through the feelings of others. They, have, uh, they just have this radar to know, how are people doing? How can I connect? How can I connect again? How can I help them get connected? And so there is this way of being in the world that they enter in through the heart affections. And so the truth is that they have EQ 
um, as their dominant way of entering into the world. But that's not all they have. Because then we have this beautiful IQ center, the head center, which is the five, six, and seven. And these folks, they filter the world through mental constructs. And they look, they, they look at the world through reason. And they have a way of uh, constructing um, and giving ways for people to think about things. And, and so they're, they're brilliant and they're wonderful, but they're not the only ones with a head. They're not the only ones with IQ. Because what happens when we use the harmony model, you'll see three triangles. And so rather than the very robust and sometimes complicated uh, Enneagram model people have been looking at with wings and arrows and even subtypes, uh, which take you into 27 types and then how you, you know, can diagnose what is your reality. The harmony triads gives you a simple triangle, every type, to connect you with your IQ, your EQ, and your GQ. So for you, Lisa, you found out you had two, heart, five, head, eight, gut. And for you, Beth, you'd find out that you have one gut, four heart, and seven head. And for me as a three, I have a three heart, a six head, and a nine gut. And with all three centers of intelligence, I can be relieved like Lisa. I can actually enter the world in a way that is grace-filled, that while I might normally enter a room with my heart saying, how do I connect? How can I connect again? And how do I make this work? Uh, in that way, I can actually let go and move away into the nine, which is my gut space that says, you don't have to be connecting all the time, Claire, you can move away. Or with my six, which would ask questions and say, Claire, why do you need to connect? Why do you need to connect again? What is that about? So wonderful questions can emerge when you are more than your type, more than trapped in your way of entering the world, whether as a head type, a heart type, or a gut type. So Lisa, I remember you talking about from the training with Claire, this discernment process. And I wonder if that would be a good way of articulating practically what it looks like to connect with the other intelligence centers in making a decision or in rethinking, you know, something or a pattern of life that you've been kind of stuck in. Can you maybe give us an example? Yeah, I um, was processing through a decision I was making back in the training when I was there in January. And again, this isn't a decision of like good versus evil. That's very different, but it's two good things that I was trying to discern of what to do next. And um, where I would naturally as a two be like, how can I help? How can I love people? How can I feel wanted and loved and accepted? Avoid rejection. Um, this discernment process that Claire walked us through was engaging not just my two, but um, engaging my five, which... Um, is my lowest number, by the way, if you take like the WEPS Enneagram test, they'll actually break it down into percentages of each of your types and, and where you fall. And why I rated like a 97% as a two, my five was like a point 
04. Um, so super low, um, not integrated with it at all. Um, so having the discernment process was taking me out of my two into my five to think through logically, thoroughly, um, using my head center of what um, choice I needed to make. And then I came up into my gut or down into my gut as an eight and thought about how I can use this to inspire, to challenge, to provide holy sacred strength um, to others with this decision. And so what you do with this discernment process is you usually just use it as a map to go from each of your types in your triad and like try that type on as you're processing through this decision you need to make. Mm -hmm. So to try on the five. And what does my head center say about this? Maybe it's a pros and cons list, like thinking through things really thoroughly. Um, And then eight, like how can I use this to inspire and to impact others? And then as my two with my heart, how am I still feeling connected, um, but not letting that rule my decision? Right. Or not letting it be unhealthy because it would be something perhaps you you overdid without thinking logically about what like like ramifications or something like that. Absolutely. Can we talk about mine for just a minute? Yeah. <laughs> My yeah. <laughs> so help help me out here. I I too um so I'm a high one and my seven was point what was it Lisa? Point oh two percent as well super low very low (laughs) (laughs) almost non-existent so let's talk about like what does that mean and what would that look like for me to integrate more my seven and my four and so that whole triad let's help me out better understand how to how to live into that more. Well, so if if I could um, first say that what we're talking about is the, uh, the Enneagram inventory written by Dr. Jerome Wagner. Uh, Dr. Wagner is my professor and my trainer and my dear friend who um, was one of the first people in the West to uh, write about the Enneagram because the Enneagram was in uh, the narrative tradition for many years. And so as a clinical, uh, well, actually he was a clinical psychologist in the making. His dissertation uh, was about how Myers-Briggs and the Enneagram informed each other. And out of that, and now his um, many years, you know, several decades as a clinical psychologist and psychologist uh, who teaches at Loyola University, um, he wrote this inventory and Lisa, you said it well, it takes what shows up for you in all nine styles and breaks it down in a percentile. Like how are you accessing every one of the nine numbers? And so it's beautiful. A lot of teachers don't like to use tests, but what we love about this test is it's validated by Burroughs, which is a psychological testing uh, group that says, oh yeah, this has fabulous psychological merit and scientific uh, handles. And having said that, the way the Harmony Triad works is actually, um, from my point of view, uh, the way that a spiritual director or a coach could actually help someone discover 
what is um, undernourished or even dismissed. So what I would wonder for you, Beth, is um, with that little uh, that little seven space as a child, did you dismiss um, that little seven? Was your uh, your uh, growing up years, you know, um, we'll say it this way, you're about a third nature, not an exact fraction, about a third nurture, how your parents uh, reacted to your inherent greatness, <laughs> and a third free will, what you ended up deciding to do with what God gave you, what your family of origin did to you, right? <laughs> or your first romantic relationships or teachers, however that went, and then how you decided to live with that. So I would wonder about where your little seven got dismissed or undernourished. I would ask you questions about when was the last time you saw that little playful person that wanted to adventure and taste and see? And, um, you know, when were you playing and you lost all sense of time? What was your earliest memory of being free uh, to play and experience life? And, um, and was it that it was dismissed by a family system or another system, school system, uh, faith system that said, oh, that's not good here. You need to be a good girl. You need to do the right thing. You, you don't have time to play. You don't have time to um, be freewheeling. You, you need to be good. So I would wonder if either the goodness of your life was so applauded that you let go of that little seven and didn't nourish it, or if it was dismissed in a way that you felt guilty when you played. Yeah, I can definitely think of storylines that I think more than anything, my interpretation of what was happening and the conclusions I came to about holding it all together, being the responsible one, being the one that just, you know, got stuff done and then was rewarded for that on repeat. Mm. On repeat. And let me just add that this, um, what's beautiful about how God made us is that it's not lost forever. What was once either buried or dismissed can actually be unearthed again. And so now for you, Beth, to start engaging with your seven, to kind of counteract your one and your four, to bring some balance and harmony there, um, to go out and play and adventure and be spontaneous. And it's going to feel so counterintuitive to you at first, but to practice play is actually going to bring you into more wholeness, harmony, and actually reflect the face of God more all things can be redeemed is what I'm hearing. Absolutely. That's the good news. And so you're describing it somewhat like a muscle, right? That atrophied at some point as a child. And now I need to, to become more integrated. I need to work that muscle. To work it. And, and I think um, the word here is grace. Um, it is a practice. It is starting to engage with something that has been buried for a long time. And so to give yourself grace in that, that it's not going to feel organic right away. For me as my five, as my lowest, it's, it's not organic for me. I want to just go to my heart and my gut and which leads to a lot of impulsivity, 
a lot of like basing my actions on my feelings and my gut and not always using my head. And my husband could attest to that. (laughs) So um, it, it feels a little counterintuitive, but the more I pull into my five and the more I learn about that Enneagram type um, and actually meet with people that are a five and for you, Beth, to like, Surround yourself with some sevens. Talk to them. Get to know them. What makes them tick um, can actually help you integrate more. I have a I have a child who's a seven, <laughs> and is it any surprise that he you know drives me crazy the most? <laughs> no, it is no surprise. It, that's beautiful. And you know, one of the things that um, we love about this practicing with uh, someone who is that style. Um, so practicing life with that person and, and I, I love that idea of surrounding yourself and look at that. You're there right in your own home. Um, because what we know from neuroscience is that neurons that fire together wire together. And so that's from the great work of uh, Dr. Dan Siegel, who's a neurophysiologist. Uh, and he, he talks about how, you know, you have neuropathways that have kept you going down the one lane for, you know, because as you said, it was on repeat. So just like uh, the ground in the forest gets worn down as people walk over it over and over and repeat that. And so you have this well-worn path with your one. And, and so what we realize because of the neuroplasticity of the brain, we can actually create new neural pathways by practicing so that these little happy neurons can fire together when you're hanging out with that child of yours and then wire a brand new path. And so that while, um, you know, Lisa says it's not organic, it, you can actually create this new neural pathway that becomes what is automatic for you. Um, you know, some, some, uh, some great scientists would say that it takes three to five years to develop new neural pathways. And that may be so. Uh, but what we know is that practice does make permanent um, and practice does bring presence. And when you're practicing moving to these undernourished parts of yourself, you can uh, you can become whole and holy, um, integrating your head, your your heart and your gut. And, you know, the book, uh, the newest book and certainly my motions of the soul, which is what Lisa was trained in. Um, the book has practices that are specific to each of the types and a practice upon practice, ways to utilize um, scripture as a, a way to see your whole self, uh, ways to journal, ways to get in your body and practice through breath prayers, um, ways to match your physiology with your theology. Um, ways to open up the gates for all three centers to, Become yourself, as Kierkegaard said it, you know, with God's help, I shall become myself because you do have all of it, even if you're not regularly accessing. Yeah. So um, so grace is a wonderful way to say it. And but it grace is wonderful, but it does take uh, intentional intention. And so when we start to pay attention to the fact that we're not accessing maybe our IQ or our EQ or our GQ, when we start to pay attention, then we can bring intention 
and open up those, you know, those gateways and create some neural pathways. Claire, what would be some intentional questions to ask myself or just kind of a framework to consider, okay, where is my seven in this? Or where is my four in this, you know, particular decision or or experience I'm having? How do I access those? Do you have some sort of kind of easy way to to think about those? Yeah, I do. And and it's outlined um, in the one book, Motions of the Soul, that Lisa's talking about where she practiced discernment. Um, because you're you're asking your uh, you're asking your seven, um, what can you tell me here? What would be a way for me to open up to spontaneity? Um, what would be a way for me to taste and see? Um, what would be a way for me to access what is, uh, what is free and light? Um, where could I put down my watch? How could I, you know, what practices could open me up to letting go of my need to be good and just experience something fun? Um, I loved what you said, Lisa. You know, you weren't deciding between good and evil. All you need is a conscience for that, right? But what we need when we're discerning and we're opening up to another center, uh, we need to discern between two good things, which means as a one, you, you have a perspective of what is good. And getting to know your seven, you might want to say, so what is good for a seven here? What would, what would that look like? And it would be a very different texture, temperature, taste um, than what your one space would be. My first reaction is, it feels like it would be irresponsible, less responsible than the choice I would make. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's just my judgment, right? My judgment of sevens. There oh, so here's a great breath prayer for you. Um, here is just one of the many found in our, in our newest book. But um, inhaling, God, you are good. And exhaling, God, I am good enough. Inhaling, made in God's image. Exhaling, I am not the judge. Inhaling, goodness. Exhaling, creates joy. And what you might find is that helps you let go of um, what you're stuck on being good and opening up more space to find out what joy might also be good. I love that. And I I hear, Claire, I hear your spiritual direction. I hear um, your pastoral heart and and see that that's such the lens through which you are your view the Enneagram and view its application in people's lives. Lisa, I'd love to hear a little bit about your lens through the world of story and story coaching and how you would use the Enneagram in someone paired with their story and the story work you're doing with them. Absolutely. I mean, I think we already kind of covered some of it and it really is that buried self. And so as um, someone who's trained in story work, um, I would sit down with a client and be really curious on where, where was your seven? Um, Or in my instance, um, where was my five undernourished as a child? Um, and what, um, narrative, not just like an itinerary, 
but actually landing the plane into a scene of, um, of our lives that have um, buried that five in me, if that makes sense. So it's going into that story um, that actually is trauma. And I know that word trauma sounds pretty drastic, but it's, we all have it, right? We have uh, little T trauma and big T trauma <laughs> in, in our past. And so to be able to work through some of those stories, um, the patterns that we had to live out is where I would land with a client um, just to resurface it. And it's in the naming of that trauma. It's in the naming of that dismissed child Mm. that unearths it again and we can get to know that part of ourself and so it's a beautiful thing to witness I I find it um holy ground like I really want to take off my shoes um Mm. because it's this integration with all of us that God has made us to be and it's in the naming of the story and landing the plane there that there can be redemption. That's beautiful. How do you guys both see this being helpful with uh, teams that are working together, church staff teams and ministry teams and, you know, even work teams? How would you go about, like, it's one thing to discuss it, right? Lisa, our team had an initial conversation last week. We learned each other's numbers and we kind of reviewed ways to love that particular number. But how would you continue to incorporate this, um, this, this knowledge and way of interacting with each other in a team environment. In my opinion, I think it opens the door to each other's stories. And when you hear each other's stories and why they are the way they are, why certain parts of themselves have been undernourished or buried, it provides a level of compassion. And compassio um, actually means to suffer with. So when you suffer with another person, um, there brings connection and empathy and um, just a deeper understanding of one another. So it provides a lot more grace and harmony within the workplace or a ministry um, because you understand where each person is coming from and the story that, that they hold. And then I think just as a team, the, the more you get to know each other and figure out who's in your triad, the more you can lean into that number that's maybe undernourished, you can really glean and sharpen one another. I mean, it's really what the Lord calls out in the body of how we all need each other as the body. And this is just a great tool to get there. Claire, have you been doing work with with teams as well? Well, yeah. So with our our pastoral staff here at the church, uh, we began this journey probably about 15 years ago, maybe 14. And it began with my own uh, suffering. Uh, of finding my own number, which we say classically, when you find the number that makes you say, oh, crap, that's probably your number, you know. And so as a three, when I discovered that um, my, uh, my automatic self, my false self would go to self-deception, I'd work longer hours than I should, I didn't have human limitations, which meant that I really thought I had an S on my chest and could just power through anything and get the work done. And I was a workaholic. So when I discovered my own type and I began to confess it uh, to our elders and just say, here's what I've discovered about myself, the way I've wounded my own life. 
And I know your lives as well, because I've been a human doing in your midst um, on many occasions. And as I began to um, confess, experience the power of self-examination and confession, I then um, opened the door for that whole group to say, hey, we want to know what, what you're talking about. We want to learn our Enneagram style. So we went through it together. And then what we determined as a team was we were going to hold one another reverently, or as Lisa would say, take off your shoes. Uh, it's holy ground. And we decided we were not going to call one another's number out. We would let everyone call it out for themselves, that they could say, right now, I feel like I'm moving to my edge and I'm living in a place that is not healthy. And rather than saying, hey, you're in your unhealthy eight right now, you're living in false self, you know, nine energy and you're being slothful. You know, we, we decided that we would only call out the truth that we saw that, that was about the person's inherent greatness and that we would give them the privilege of calling out their own stuff, their own false self stuff so that they could feel safe because in some teams, this would not be a good, um, this would not be a good system to let everyone reveal their type as a diagnostic piece. Um, only in groups that are working toward harmony and empathy and, uh, and transformation do you want to bring these tender things? Uh, otherwise, it could be used as a weapon against you. And um, so one of the reasons that we say we love the Enneagram as a diagnostic piece, but then, you know, you want to keep your diagnosis to yourself unless you're in the presence of people that can help you then open to harmony and work that uh, IQ, EQ, GQ, head, heart, gut, father, son, Holy Spirit, um, into the transformative work that God intends from faith to faith and glory to glory. So being very wise who you share these tender things with uh, is my recommendation. That's so wise. I really hear that wisdom in that. And your handbook, the, the latest book that you've been referencing that we've been talking about is going to be such an incredible tool for individuals, for teams, um, for small groups, for churches, called The Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram, A Handbook for Harmony and Transformation. And your other two books, Claire, Motions of the Soul and Enneagram Personality Styles, all books that um, if anybody wants to learn more and grow more in their understanding of the Enneagram uh, can pick up. And Lisa, you are here in Northern Colorado and offering, starting to offer so many different things surrounding the Enneagram. And as my audience is still majority this part of, of the country. Lisa, would you just quickly summarize what you're going to start offering around the Enneagram? Sure. I mean, it's really um, a, a lot of what we were talking about today. It's um, getting the content out and um, education on the Harmony Triads and hope, hopefully to lead to spiritual transformation. So I'm doing um, uh, workshops, and I also offer personal coaching. So one-on-one, um, -on -one we can kind of dive into that story and figure out where that dismissed child is and um, and even engage in some of these spiritual practices to, to kind of unearth uh, that 
that ignored part of ourself. Um, and then I also meet with ministry teams and um, corporations. If any of you um, out there want me to come in and do kind of a customized um, uh, workshop with your team, I'm happy to come in and, and do that. Well, I will have links to the places that everyone can find both of you and all the books and, and resources in the show notes. Uh, Lisa, Claire, thank you so much for joining me today on this podcast and just diving a little bit deeper into um, this version of the Enneagram. Thank you both. You're welcome. Thanks for having us, Beth. Thank you, Beth. Bless you. Well, I really believe that when we are fully embracing um, all of us and seeking to discover more and more of the ways in which we reflect God, that we are living a big storied life. And Claire and Lisa are both incredible examples of that. You can pick up Claire's new book, Spiritual Rhythms for the Enneagram, anywhere books are sold. And if you are interested in learning more about the training that Claire offers, you can find her in the show notes. If you are interested in asking Lisa in to your team or your um, community or interested in one-on-one coaching or even joining a triad group, you can find out more information about Lisa as well in the show notes. Thanks so much for listening and would love for you to leave a review if you like what you're hearing. Tell me who your favorite guest has been and um, even give me some ideas of who you'd like to hear more from in the next season. This is Beth Bruno and you've been listening to the Fierce and Lovely Podcast.